Chapter One of A Book of English Martyrs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. A Book of English Martyrs by E. M. Wilmot Buxton. Chapter One The Road to Tyburn. May 4, 1535. Arbor decora et fulgida the bright sun of a london spring was shining cheerfully one may morning upon the narrow unpaved streets and crowded houses of the city folk were astir early that fourth of may in the year fifteen thirty five hurrying in groups of three or four to line the byways as though eager to secure good places from which to view some great procession news travelled slowly in those days and a young man just arrived in london from the north country might well be utterly ignorant of the cause of the unwanted excitement such an one we might imagine pushing his way eagerly through the crowd fast gathering in close ranks round the gates of the tower and having gained a place of vantage we can hear him questioning a grave-faced onlooker at whose side he found himself is it a royal procession good sir doth the king be like pass by this way with the new queen nay said the other tis a procession indeed but a sad enough sight methinks for a bright may morning but see there for yourself the gates open and they come there was a shout or two from the crowd but on the whole the onlookers viewed in astonished silence a sight that was strange indeed to catholic england in the year fifteen thirty five a broken-kneed horse urged forward by much use of the whip was dragging behind him a hurdle upon which lay bound a venerable old man in the robes of a cartusian monk behind him in like fashion were drawn three other monks and an old secular priest in his cap and cassock brought up the rear through the filth and mud of the unpaved streets they jolted covered with mire their heads to the horses tails yet upon their faces a look of strange joy and peace as they passed on their way of sorrows to tyburn tree these be no traitors surely said our young countryman deeply stirred what can be the meaning of it his companion looked cautiously about him but the crowd was fast thinning as the people hurried in the wake of the procession and he was able to speak without fear of being overheard these be the three holy priors of the charter house he said john hawthorne prior of the london house and dom robert lawrence and dom augustine webster from the country convents of beauvale and axholm after them is drawn richard reynolds of the monastery of sion down islesworth way a bridgetine monk and he that came last is father john hale vicar of islesworth but what wrong have they done questioned the lad have they given up the faith and turned heretics like the followers of master tyndale and of the german friar martin luther nay said the other with a strange smile far from it but let us walk together to tyburn for i would fain see the end of these good men and we will talk by the way before you go however 
look up at these walls and tell me if you know who lie in prison there these many months the boy looked up at the frowning gray walls of the tower and shook his head tell me good sir his companion pointed to a narrow window in the beauchamp tower overlooking the courtyard there said he solemnly sir thomas more late chancellor of england keeps his state and yonder in the bell tower lies bishop john fisher of rochester very sorely sick and awaiting the call of death both these are here at the king's pleasure for the same fault that has brought yon holy priors to the gallows but what is their fault cried the youth why in my part of the country we regard these monks with the utmost reverence and more especially the cartusians for tis well known that their dress is meaner and poorer than that of other monks so short and scanty and rough that the very sight affrights one they wear coarse hair shirts next their skin fast nearly always eat only bran bread never touch flesh and have but one meal a day that is very true replied his companion and amongst all the holy brethren prior houghton was one of the holiest and humblest of all and greatly beloved by his monks and now if you will be patient with an old man's tale and let him tell it in his own way i will tell you what has brought them to this condition to this the lad eagerly assented and as eagerly listened as they walked on the outskirts of the crowd along the three long miles that lay between the tower and tyburn for some minutes his companion seemed lost in thought for which briskly rousing himself he presently offered a sort of apology it is just twenty-four years since i passed here on my way to see the great procession that hailed king henry on his marriage with queen catherine a gallant youth he was indeed and we who cared deeply for our faith rejoiced to think we had a ruler who delighted in theology as others did in tennis and who indeed might have been our archbishop had his brother arthur lived to be king i remember well how firmly he stood by pope julius the second in his league against the french invaders of italy and i was present when the legate landed at dover with the golden rose blessed by the pope and sent to his well-beloved son henry four years after his accession the new pope leo x sent him a consecrated sword and cap which the king was proud to wear in procession to st paul's over yonder were those the days of the cardinal wolsey good sir asked the youth he was then beginning to make his influence felt was the reply but it was in the years that followed the years of the french war and the holy league that he really came to the front most men in england hated and feared him and some of us think that the worldly spirit in which he worked his will and his own selfish ambitions were the grounds for much of the king's action in later days but surely they brought about a terrible fall for the cardinal ay and some think no less terrible fall for king henry young sir 
yet in those days henry was still a devoted servant of the church and the cardinal himself was known to have written to rome that the king will be ready to expose his person and goods to support the honour and dignity of the holy see barely two months before the death of leo x he had conferred upon henry the noble title defensor fidei defender of the faith which strangely enough he still holds with pride you know methinks why it was given him and of the book he wrote in defence of our catholic doctrines against the ex-monk luther a book which so expressly and clearly supported the supreme authority of the holy father that even those that even those who had had doubts of the divine origin of that authority were at once convinced what then was the cause of this sudden change in the king's mind that is what i have never clearly grasped said the boy mayhap it was not so sudden as it seemed replied the other there were those among us who marked with dismay even in those days the extravagance of the king the good-for-nothings who thronged the court the growing indifference of his majesty to our good queen catherine self-pleasing and laxity of life suit not well with the precepts of our holy faith and one who was as mighty a spendthrift as his father was a miser had already begun to look covetously upon the rich lands of the monasteries the gifts of pious donors in bygone years meantime however his majesty had other matters on hand tis thought that it was early in may of the year fifteen twenty seven the year that wolsey went to france to make an alliance with the king of that land that henry first told him that he intended to put away his queen catherine of aragon on the plea that her previous marriage with his brother arthur made their wedlock an unlawful bond it was not however till the cardinal's return that he realized the truth of the case that the king had fallen in love with the queen's waiting woman anne boleyn and was determined to make her his wife it was in fifteen twenty nine now nearly six years ago since that strange trial took place in the great hall of the black friars before the pope's legate cardinal campaggio and our cardinal wolsey the queen you must know refused to plead before such judges made a dignified appeal to the pope and then withdrew the trial went on and a week later john fisher bishop of rochester rose and declared that a two years study of the question had convinced him that the marriage tie was even more sacred since christ's day than when john baptist died for it from which time the king hath never ceased to look with an evil eye upon that good bishop nothing came of the trial as was clearly meant by the pope beforehand as far as judgment on catherine was concerned but from that time dated the resentment of mistress boland as she was then which brought about the fall of wolsey let us leave him now though methinks i would rather he lay to-day with bishop fisher ready to make a glorious end for his religion than in his unhonoured grave at leicester abbey that was in fifteen thirty 
and two years later the king was privately married to anne boleyn to the latter part of this information the lad had listened somewhat impatiently i know he said that the king hath married the queen in the face of holy church and that many of us say it is no marriage at all but what has this to do with the priors yonder whose limbs are by this time well nigh rent asunder by the jolting of those hurdles surely they had no voice in the matter of the royal marriage see my son how one thing hangs upon another replied the old man gravely no sooner had henry disobeyed the head of the church in this matter than he must needs justify his position his adviser was now thomas cromwell whom no doubt you know as vicar general which he hath been made this year already too a suggestion had been made by one thomas cranmer a private tutor whom the king had met at waltham abbey when he stayed there on a royal progress soon after the trial of queen catherine had been dropped this man said that if the universities of europe would pronounce in favor of the divorce the king would have sufficient authority on which to act twas a lucky suggestion for him for after being made private chaplain to anne boleyn in less than three years he sitteth as archbishop of canterbury at lambeth palace though a priest twice married and full they say of the new doctrines taught by master tyndale and his followers thus were the first steps taken in the direction of throwing off the authority of the holy see and now the king began to realize tis said what he wise and far-seeing sovereign though he be had taken three and twenty years to discover and that was the fact that bishops and abbots at their consecration make an oath to the pope clean contrary to the oath they make to him so that they seem his subjects and not the king's but surely that oath hath been taken since the days of anselm without harm coming of it cried the boy who was himself something of a scholar that is so but it gave the king the foothold he needed in trying to make the clergy answerable to his authority alone on the day that they submitted their ancient rights into his hands sir thomas more surrendered the great seal the symbol of his office as chancellor i had heard of that said the youth indeed many in my part of england blamed him for so doing saying that the king had not yet thrown off subjugation to rome and was busy about the punishment of heretics at that very time and meantime said his companion dryly henry had got cranmer to declare his marriage lawful and was openly scoffing at the papal communication which naturally descended on one who was living in sin and in open defiance of the authority of the church in the year that anne was crowned queen a sorry ceremony when not a man cheered or uncovered as she passed through the streets it was ordered by the king's council that none should preach at paul's cross without declaring in his sermon that the pope's authority was no greater than that of any foreign bishop then came last year's parliament which abolished all payments to rome ordered that bishops were to be elected at the king's will and passed the famous succession act 
which not only declared the king's first marriage to be against the laws of god but entailed the succession to the crown on the children of anne boleyn this as you know deprived the young princess mary of her rights and made the princess elizabeth then but a few months old our future queen and moreover the oath to support the succession was ordered to be taken by every person over sixteen in the april of that same year a nun named elizabeth barton was executed with six of her adherents for claiming an inspiration from god that bade her declare the displeasure of the almighty with the king's divorce and this methinks so frightened people that many hastened to take the oath when it was clear against their conscience the first to refuse publicly was sir thomas more and bishop fisher soon followed his example within a few days both these good men were sent to the tower where they still lie as you saw just now this was in the april of last year and soon after did cranmer begin a visitation throughout his province in order to get the signatures of the clergy to the oath and to a declaration that the bishop of rome has no greater jurisdiction conferred upon him by god in this kingdom than any other foreign bishop presently therefore his commissioners came to the charter house and demand the oath of prior houghton so occupied was this good old man with the things of god and so far removed from worldly matters that at first he saith that what lady the king was pleased to marry or divorce was no concern of him or his monks but you must declare the king's first marriage invalid said they and that he said very simply i cannot do since the pope must know better than i at that he was ordered to the tower but after some weeks he was persuaded good simple soul by various learned men that the oath might be taken with the qualifying words as far as was lawful his monks he said understanding little of the matter openly rejoiced in this solution at which he solemnly warned them saying our hour is not yet come and then he told them of a dream he had had the night before leaving the tower when he had been warned that within a year he should return to the same prison and there finish his road of martyrdom now late last year as no doubt you know an act was passed by parliament proclaiming the king supreme head of the church in england and declaring the oath touching the succession to be binding on every subject in the realm early in the present year therefore prior houghton was visited by two country priors lawrence and webster who wished to consult with him as to the course they must take the prior told them that he had already assembled his convent and put the matter before them let us die in our simplicity they had cried but he knew that a worse trial than death was before them and warned them that while he himself and some of the older monks might suffer death the young novices would be cast out into a world for which they were entirely unfitted he determined therefore to go with his brother priors to cromwell lately appointed vicar-general to the king and beg him to soften in some way the terms of the oath 
will you obey the king as supreme head of the church of england asked cromwell bluntly we cannot acknowledge him as such said they forthwith they were committed to the tower and with them richard reynolds a brigantine monk who had refused the oath and old john hale vicar of isleworth who had lamented the king's cruelty and oppression to a young priest named ferron who afterwards betrayed him tis well known that at their trial last week the jury refused to find a verdict against them being horrified at the thought of condemning such holy men to a cruel death but cromwell himself came down and raged at them so that at last they were terrified into a verdict of high treason by this time the speaker and his young companion had reached the spot now known as marble arch and formed part of a vast crowd of onlookers silent and awed for the most part in the midst of which the gallows the fatal tyburn tree by dint of scrambling up the lower branches of a neighboring tree the lad could see that prior houghton still in his monk's robe was standing on the ladder which rested against one of the supports and that from below a man in the robes of a king's counsellor was urging him to yield and promising him pardon what saith he in answer asked the lad's companion hush thou canst hear him for myself said the boy as a clear gentle old voice floated over the heads of the crowd now profoundly silent i call god to witness and beg of you all to bear me witness at the dread judgment day that ye are about to die i declare publicly that i refuse to comply with the will of our lord the king not out of any pertinency malice or rebellious disposition but only from the fear of god lest i should offend his sovereign majesty seeing our holy mother the church has decreed and determined otherwise than the king and his parliament have ordained wherefore i am obliged in conscience and am also ready and not dismayed to offer these and all possible torments rather than oppose the teaching of the church pray for me and pity my brethren whose unworthy prior i have been then came a pause what doth he now asked the elder man he commandeth his spirit into the hands of god replied the lad's awed voice and now they turn the ladder so that he hangs by the neck and now and now they cut him down while he is yet alive ah and the rest i cannot bear to look upon but hark surely tis his voice again thin and faint but full of fervour came the words from that bed of torture and death most holy jesus have mercy on me in this hour a moment later he spoke his last words and the lad white and trembling as he descended from the tree whispered to his companion that as the executioner in his brutal office laid his hand upon his heart to tear it from his breast the old man said gently good jesus what wilt thou do with my heart and so died 
what of the others his companion asked a bystander some time later when he had led his unnerved companion away from the dreadful scene the reply was emphatic it is long since persons have been seen to die with greater constancy no change was noticed in their colour or tone of speech though they saw the execution of their friends before they died themselves but while it was going on they preached and exhorted the bystanders with the greatest boldness to do well and obey the king in everything that was not against the honour of god and the church do not such brave words cheer thy sinking heart my son said the old man to his young companion and was it not truly a royal procession along the way of sorrows that we have witnessed together even as that of our master on the road to calvary but the lad was still stricken with horror how could these things be in christian england he gasped surely the very stones will cry out against such treatment of holy men and will be the last time that men look upon such a sorry sight tis the first but twill be by no means the last said the old man solemnly i see methinks a long procession of martyrs monks secular priests and laymen passing along to tyburn tree during the years to come and the fruit borne by that tree though bitter to the taste shall be for the healing of the nation and the return of england once more to the true faith and with these words they parted End of chapter 1 Recording by John Brandon